Good morning, everyone. I hope you have a wonderful day. Today is a very auspicious day. It's the 34th yard side of Rebus and Chaya Mushka. And may the soul be a merit to all of us, and everyone may be blessed, whatever they need. The ultimate blessing, of course, which includes all the other blessings, of course, is the blessing of the coming of Mashiach immediately now. So, we are in Mayat Cotton, the second chapter, on the top of page 12a. So, Shmuel, Shmuel said, the Kabli, Kibayles, those are on the contract. In other words, you don't pay them by the hour, you pay them for the job. So, he's not allowed to work within the Tchum of Shabbos. We're talking about Shabbos. So you're not allowed to, if they're going to do work on Shabbos, you're not allowed to enter a contract with them because people are going to assume that you hired him for Shabbos. They won't know that you hired him just for, you know, as a general contractor for the job. They'll think you're paying him. He's working for you on Shabbos. You're paying him by the hour. But if it's outside of the Tchum, what are you allowed? Why? Because there are no Jews there. No one's going to see. Usually, there's no Marisayin. You're not afraid anyone's going to see because no Jew is allowed to go there. A Jew is quarantined. So no, the Jew won't see that the non-Jew is working. So he won't even come to think. There's no, no worries. And he, it's really allowed. Why is it allowed? Because he's not my agent. I didn't tell him to work on Shabbos. I paid him for the job. Get a job done whenever you want. Work at night. Work Sunday, Sunday. Work Friday. What do I care? It's only going to look like it. It's only within Tchum Shabbos, not outside Tchum Shabbos. When did we say that if he, the guy lives outside the Tchum Shabbos? The three thousand feet outside the outside the city. There's no city that's nearby. If where the guy is, it's outside of your tchum, but there are Jews living there, then you have the same problem. A Jew will see a non-Jew working for a Jew. He'll assume that the Jew hired him. It says this, prob- this, this that we allow the guy to do work if he's a contract outside of Tchum Shabbos. There's no Jew living there. It's only regarding Shabbos and Yom Tov. You're not allowed to have a non-Jew work for you. Why is that allowed if the guy lives outside the Tchum and there's no Jew living where he lives? Because it's not common for people to be there. What are the chances that a Jew is going to end up there? No, you're not allowed to go there. There's a tchum. You're limited. You can find. It doesn't help. People are allowed to travel. So it doesn't matter if the guy is, is outside the tchum. He can't do work for you because you're going to assume that you hired him. And whatever you're not allowed to do yourself, you're not allowed to tell the guy to do. A Jew is not allowed to work in Chalamay, not to hire a guy to work for you in Chalamay. This prohibition we're talking about, if it's like a real estate, he's building something for you. If he's doing work with something movable, why would I assume it belongs to the Jew? I see a non-Jew working on, 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 on his tractor or whatever, working on, on his car. It's his, I assume it's his car. I don't know if it's a Jew's car, but land, everyone knows. Everyone who reads the paper, this piece of land, everyone knows, was bought by this Jew, belongs to the Jew, and they're going to see him building and constructing in the middle of Shabbos. They're going to say, ah, oh, he's working for the Jew on Shabbos. 
or in Cholomite. A non-Jew was under contract to build a mansion for Mazutra, the son of Avnach, but was outside the Tchum of Shabbos. And he worked, he worked on Shabbos. Ikla Rav Safra Rav Huna Bachinana, Rav Safra Rav Huna happened to be on the place. They wouldn't enter it. Because it was built on Shabbos. So they didn't even want to benefit from the work that was, that was done on Shabbos. Even he himself, the owner, Marzutra also wouldn't enter, enter into the mansion. They didn't want to benefit from work that was done. <laughs> So he wouldn't enter on Shabbos, he wouldn't enter any time. That's what you might ask. Mama Shmuel, Shmuel says, What was the problem? It was done legit. It was outside the Tchum. His palace is outside the Tchum, so it's allowed. So what's the problem? So you might answer, it's like we learned yesterday, Adam Chashev Shaini, a prominent person is different. He has to hold himself to a higher standard. Right, that's what he A regular person, that's okay. But a greater person, even the appearance of impropriety, even the appearance is also, he has to stay away from it. Because other people, not everyone, not everyone realizes, makes the distinction that it's outside the Tchum is allowed, inside the is not. So the common people and ignoramus will say, hey, you'll find out, you see? The great rabbi, they built, they built this house. Outside, they build a house on Shabbos, so I can also do it. Even though I'm doing it in town, they won't make a distinction. Right. So it wasn't Shabbos. Uh, it was because of course it was Shabbos. Had, no, Shabbos. The others say, See you, you. Mazut helped the workers. He supplied them straw for the bricks. He did not intend that they should do work on Shabbos. He meant Friday, Sunday. They worked on Shabbos on their own. But when he realized that he had helped them, that he ended up helping them in their and they worked on Shabbos. So, in other words, by helping them, he was showing that they were not independent contractors. That he treated them like workers. He provided the material for them. He helped them. So, therefore, it appeared, yeah, as as if they were his workers and they worked for him on Shabbos. Even though he told them not to work on Shabbos, and they, and they didn't listen, <laughs> they wanted to go uh, fishing on Sunday, so they, instead they worked on Shabbos. <laughs> they, they really halachically there was absolutely no problem in benefiting, and, and but but they went beyond the letter of the law. So what do we see from this? What do we learn from this? That halachically, if a Jew violates this halacha and has a non-Jew general contract. But has a non-Jew general contract to build for you in town, in the Trump shop. So halachically, you're not allowed to enter into this house. They can be building a shul for you, a yeshiva. Halachically, you're not allowed to step foot into that place. Even though, in general, it says if a non-Jew cooks for you, does work for you, so what are the consequences? You're not allowed to benefit from it. You have to wait after Shabbos how long it would take him to build. So why don't you say the same? Okay, so wait a day. All the days that you say for Shabbos, wait that time. No, here is different. Here you're not allowed to benefit from it ever. You're not allowed to step foot into it ever. Because you desecrated Shabbos. It was built in public. It was a public desecration of Shabbos. How do we know that it's... Well, Benatam holds it here, we're talking about the mourner. We're not even talking about Shabbos.
And he says that a Kabbalin is allowed to work. We're not even discussing Shabbos. A Kabbalin is allowed to work. A contractor is allowed to work. Built for you in town. In town. We're talking about mourners. We said anything you're not allowed to do in Chalamoy, the mourner is not allowed to do. Even things you're allowed to do in Chalamoy, you're not allowed to do, the mourner is not allowed to do. Because this is biblical and mourning is only rabbinic. He's talking about Moshe Shainim, he's talking about Shabbos, but we learn the laws of mourners is the same thing. You can't, the mourner is not allowed to work, and not allowed to have a non Jew work for him within the Tchum, even if he's a contractor. The table stewards of the house of the Rej Galusa, the head of the. Yeah. He allowed them to do work repairing the tables in Chalamoid. Who's it? The waiters? What are they? Amari said, Kivan like a shock. Since they don't take any formal wages, what's their wage? They get to eat. <laughs> the waiter, they get to eat. They get to eat. No, that, that's, the, that's their reward. So, Sharshuri become a Sharshulu. They're gaining only its indirect, indirect benefit. So, it's not a problem. Not forbidden work. They fixed tables, he had to fix it. It was broken. You needed to use it on Chalamoid, not for after the young. But nevertheless, he wouldn't. You're not allowed to get paid directly because working for pay is like within the Chal, it's a weekday activity. You're not allowed to do a weekday activity in Chalamoid. But indirect benefit to taking the meals while they were working, they got free meals. They got invited to Kiddush? Yeah. That's not considered, that's not considered a weekday activity and therefore it's allowed. Tell the rabbis and the rabbis learn the mekabelin kibelis b'meid. Let's say salachet amoyit. You're allowed to enter into a contract with non-Jews and chalamoyit that they should do the work after chalamoyit. But they're not allowed to start in chalamoyit. They're not allowed to work in chalamoyit. You have to tell them, I'm, I'm entering, I'm writing a contract with you today, but the work will begin, commence after shmini atzeres, after achron shalpeis, after simchas teira, after achron shalpeis. So what's what's the chiddush? So, so what's so of course I'm allowed to. Why why shouldn't I be allowed? Because you may think the guy is not going to listen to you. He wants to finish it as soon as possible. He wants to take another job. So he'll take the money. He'll promise you, and he won't keep it. And he'll start working for you. So nevertheless, you're allowed. You don't prohibit him. Now what if he goes ahead and does work? Do you have to stop him. You're obligated to stop him. So that's already an argument between the Rishonim. Well, you have to stop and say, no, listen, I told him, I paid him, my deal was, now he's doing, it's not, it's not my business, it's his problem. No, you, have to, you must stop him. Okay. This is the rule. Whatever you're allowed to do, you're allowed to tell a guy to do for you. Whatever you're not prohibited for you, it's also prohibited for you to tell a guy to do because it becomes like your agent. 
Just like on Shabbos, you can't tell a guy to do work for you. On Chalamayin also, you can't tell a guy to do anything you're not allowed to do. Tani, the Kulun, another Baraiz, and the Kablin, Kibbeilis, made last night, Lachan Ambed. You're allowed to sign a contract. Enter a contract with a non-Jew to do work, to start work after Yamtiv. As long as you don't measure, you don't weigh, and you don't count. Like you do the ordinary way, like you do in the, in the, in the, in the weekday. In other words, when you enter into a contract, you have to weigh the amount of thread you want to give to a weaver. What do you mean, a junker? In the olden days, how did you get a suit or a dress? You gave him material, you say, here. And I'm, I'm, it's oh. a contract. Oh. Do Finish the project whenever yeah. you want. But I'm giving you the material, well, and I'm going to pay you for the finished project. But start it after Yom Tov. You have to measure, you have to weigh how much thread you're giving him, how much it is. So you have to weigh, but don't weigh in the normal way, in the ordinary way. Because that's a weekday activity. It's not Yom Tov, it's not Chalam but you could give him the measurements as long as he starts after the holiday, right? You ask for a suit, right? You can give him the measurements yeah. with a... And the halacha is, even if to a Jew, you can do this to a Jew also. It's not only a non-Jew. A Jew also. I can enter a contract and I'll say, tell the Jewish tailor, you'll do the work after Yom Tif. I'm entering into a contract now. We both have time. Muttle, muttle the tailor and I'll give you, I'll give you, I'll, I'll measure away the thread and take it. As long as you measure it in, the, in a different way. From the Rabbana, the rabbis learn in my being, behemoth, hell, shomay. Now to mount a male animal on a female animal during Chalamot. Mating animals is forbidden because it's, unne- it's exertion, unnecessary exertion. And there's no festival need. Nothing's going to happen on Yom Tif. It's going to be for after Yom Tif. Yeah. So you're not allowed to do that on Yom Tif. Uh, similarly, you're not allowed to mount a male animal upon a female animal using a firstborn male or a sacrificial animal that became invalidated. Because it says you're not allowed to work with the firstborn. It remains holy. So that's working. Taking the, the firstborn and having it sire an offspring, that's working. So you're not allowed to do that. Not a chalamite any time of the year. You're not allowed to do that. Also, invalid sac- uh, animals, sacrificial animal came invalid. They were consecrated. They're holy. So even though they became disqualified because they got a blemish, and you're allowed to redeem them, but even after redemption, they retain holiness. You're not allowed to work it. So therefore, you're not allowed to use it. You, you can't you could cut it here or use it for works. You could only use it to eat. You can eat from it. That's about it. So therefore, you can't mount it, use it to mount and to sire an offspring. comes into heat. Your animal's not like human. They go into heat once a year and they're happy. Humans are the only creatures in the universe that have insatiable appetite. And the more you indulge, it only fuels the flame. It's all consuming. Humans are the only ones who are addicted. You haven't met an animal that overate and overdrank and overdosed? <laughs> only if they hang out the humans. But it's, it's a uniquely human phenomenon. But when an animal is in heat, you're allowed to mount a male, even a chalamoid. Why? Because her ardor will become cooled down. She's in heat and there's no response. 
If it goes unsatisfied, she'll never want to mate again. So it'll be a big significant loss to the owner. Like we said, any significant loss, you're allowed to exert yourself, and you're allowed to do work on Chalamayud. So Rabbi Yehuda holds, different Rabbi Yehuda allows. The Tanakama say, no, you're not allowed to. They, they don't differentiate. Doesn't, even if the she donkey is in heat, you're not allowed to. Because they hold it's, it's like exertion. Exertion, even for loss, even for financial loss, you're not allowed to do exertion. And that's how Allah is like the rabbi. It's not like Rabbi Hud. And then he continues, but all other animals, all other female animals, you bring them into the corals with the males, and they mate there on their own. Let them do it on their own. You're not allowed to mount the male upon the female. Because other species are not like a, not like a donkey, a she-donkey. So you're not allowed to mount them. Bring them together. If they mount, they're in heat. Bring them together. If they mount, they mount. It's their business. I'm not working. But the she, a she, a she uh, donkey, it's going to damage. It's, if, if you don't satisfy her her her, her lust, then then it's going to. You don't satisfy her need, then it's going to lead to a, a huge loss. She'll never be warm again. Tell the rabban and the rabbis learn. You're not allowed to bring animals together so, so they should fertilize the field. Right? Fence them in so the manure should you know, fertilize the field. Not in Shabbos, not in Yom Tif, and not in Cholomite. If they come on their own, if a non-Jew comes of their own accord to manure a Jew's field with their animals, it's not fine. Right? They can do it. I don't have to stop them. You would pen them in, and the manure would, would, would fertilize the field. And then every night they would move the pen to a different part of the field. <laughs> the whole field became fertilized. So you're not allowed. Fertilizing is a tulda of what? Which malacha, either sowing or plowing. Because anything that improves the productivity of the land is, 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 is like plowing. And it's also helping facilitating the growth. So it's also a tool of, of, of sowing. It's like we learned in the beginning of the tractate, the very first page, watering. Right? The argument. What's watering? Is it a tool of Zedeya or a tool of Chedesh? You're improving the land, you're softening the land, but you're also, uh, you're also causing it, facilitating, facilitating the growth. That was an argument with Rabbi and Rabbi Yesus. Same thing here. It could be either. When you fertilize, it's either a tulda of chedesh or a tulda of zeh, because both, both are true. They both happen. You're improving the land, and also you're facilitating the... And you're not allowed to do that in Chalamayid. Surely not in Shabbos and Even though it's indirect. I'm not doing anything. I just pen the animals. They're fertilizing by, by, by being natural. But nevertheless, the rabbinically, you're not allowed. Because it's similar to fertilization. It's similar as if you fertilized so biblically, there wouldn't be any problem, but rabbinically, the rabbis say you're not allowed. That's why if they come on their own, I didn't do anything. It's no problem. They messianize, uh, but you're not allowed to help them. You can't move the animal from one section to the other. They came on their own, then I'm going to help it along. No, no, I can't do anything. You're not allowed to provide them with a watchman to guard, to guard their flock. 
Gentile. The Gentile is working for the Jew. He's not working for himself. So the Jew is not allowed to help him help him along. If you help the non-Jew, you provide a watchman for him. It's a, it appears if you hired him. So you hired him to bring the animals to 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 uh, fertilize the field. The non-Jew who is manuring the field, bring, fertilizing the field. He was hired for a week, or for a month, or for a year, or for seven years. Messiah and then you're allowed to help. You're allowed to help. Because if you're hired for a long time, so he's not considered working for a Jew. It's like, it's like a contract. It's, he can do whatever he wants. He can do it whenever he wants. I paid him for a job. Get the job done. I didn't hire you for... I'm not paying you by the hour. I'm paying you by the day. I'm paying you for a week, a month. Get that for a job. This is Shabbos court, basically. Right? We're not paying him for Shabbos. We're paying yeah, him for it's unspecified times. Right, right. So therefore, when he's working on Shabbos, he's doing it for his own convenience. Right. He, he, wants, he wants to go skiing on Sunday. He doesn't want to... So, so he's, doing, he's, doing, he's working for himself. He's not working for his employer. So therefore, I'm allowed to help him. Because it's not, it's, I'm, I'm helping him in his own field. I'm not helping him for myself. Yeah, exactly. I'm allowed to help him, I'm allowed to give him, uh, provide a watchman to guard their flock. The price continues. Rabbi says, on He's allowed to allow the Gentile to manure the field only for a favor, not to pay. If he pays him, whether he gives him food, he gives him money, that means the Jew shows that he's happy with his work. So it's as if he told him, go work. If you're showing that you're happy and you're paying him, you're giving him a reward, it means, it means like you're paying him as if he's working for you. So therefore it's prohibited. So you're not allowed to repay the worker except with a favor. You did a favor for me. I'll give you. I'll, I'll give you a favor. I'll do a favor for you. Yeah. In exchange for. But if he expects money, he expects to be paid. He came in on his own, but he expects to be paid. You have to stop. If a favor, I'll do a favor for you. Whatever. Even on that travels, that's a favor. I'm not, you're not expecting anything, but a favor for a favor. Okay, you did me a favor. I'll do a favor. That's fine. As long as it's not pay or I'm not, I'm not feeding you. I'm gonna give you a meal for that, which is a form of payment. Why is a favor Doesn't mean he's working for me. If a friend does a favor for me, he's not working for me. I'll do a favor for him. It doesn't show. The relationship is not, I'm his employer and his employee. When you do a favor for me, you know, I don't become your, you don't become... Uh, well, you, there are other uh, aspects, like when you have trust, you can't... So, but that's biblical, you know, biblical, so the rabbis were strict. Right. That's rabbinic. But here, the whole prohibition of a goy is, is rabbinic. There's no prohibition. A goy is allowed to work for your child. It's the whole thing, a goy, yeah, a goy, yeah. Yeah, but it's a uh, good question. You can even pay him with food, but not pay him. You can serve him a nice meal. Why? Why? Not that you cook for him. You didn't cook for him. You're not allowed, you're not allowed to cook for a non-Jew. But food that you have, why? Because yamtiv is less is more lenient than Shabbos. So yamtiv would be a little more lenient. I can give him a nice meal if he expects a nice a nice uh, meal for his effort. Fine, but as long as you don't pay him directly. 
Bamoyed Beschar, Chalamoyed, I can even pay him. Since he did it on his own, I never asked him to do it. Yeah. So therefore, he can, he can even pay it. We're not afraid that, he's gonna, that if he do this, he's going to come back and on a regular basis, and therefore you'll give the impression that he hired him. Now, you're not allowed to tell him that if he continues, I'll pay you. Because that's clearly as if you're hiring him. You're not allowed to tell a non-Jew to do anything you're not allowed to do. If he does it on his own, and he expects to get paid, fine. The law follows according to Rebbe. Not like the Tanakam. So the rabbis disagree with Rebbe. According to the rabbis, that when non-Jews come on their own to manure the field, doesn't matter if it's Shabbos, doesn't matter if it's Yamdi, doesn't matter if it's Chalamoid, you're allowed to pay him for his work because he came on his own. He says a blanket statement. If he comes on his own, then it's allowed. It doesn't make any, he doesn't qualify that statement. But Rebbe makes a distinction. No. If he does it on his own and you want to do a favor, fine. On Shabbos. And Yom Tif, you can feed him. And on Chalamayt, you can even pay him. And the law follows Rebbe. Okay. But, if, but on Shabbos, you're not allowed to feed him. And on Yom Tif, you're not allowed to pay him. Okay, next Mishnah. Okay, look at Mishnah. If a person has wine in the vat, the vat is where you keep the grapes in front of the wine press. <coughs> and therefore, you have to pour it into, you're about to pour it into barrels. The vat in front of the wine press, where you press the wine and it pours into the vat. Not the grapes. After you press, so the wine flows into the vat. So if you don't transfer it into barrels, you're going to lead to a loss. Vito Avon suddenly became a mourner, and then you're not allowed to work. Or something else happened. And he couldn't, he couldn't fill the barrels. She too. His workers deceived him. They never showed up. He pours everything into the barrels and seals the barrels in the usual way with a full-fledged seal. Even though it's chalamai, because again, it's a loss. If you don't put it into barrels, the wine will go to waste. It'll be a big loss. What's the big deal? What kind of work is there? Well, why wouldn't I be able to fill barrels? What, what work exactly? Which category of work of the 39 categories of work falls into, does it fall under? But nevertheless, it's a lot of exertion. And you're not allowed to exert yourself on Yom Cholomai. Nothing to do with the categories of work. In general, you're not allowed to work. You're not to overwork on Shabbos and Yom If the rest, it's supposed to be a day of rest. Also, sealing the barrel, of course, is work. Right, right. So sealing the barrel is mamachik, is smoothing out. That's one kind of work. Right. Rashi says that you're allowed to, it means we're talking about pressing, we're not talking about the barrel, we're talking about continuing to finish pressing the, the grapes. No. Because if you're going to leave it in the, like that, hanging, it's going to lead to a big loss. It's going to lead to a big loss. Yeah. To uh, vinegar. Yeah. Exactly. That's the opinion of Rabbi Yaisi. 
Rabbi Huda Eimer, Rabbi Huda argues, he says, He may make a temporary covering of boards, so the wine will not sour. You'll be not allowed to seal it in the usual way. Right, just nail it shut. Yeah, you know, just cover it. It's enough to cover it. Right. Covering yeah. it is not, it's work, it's effort, it's, 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 but it's not, there's no but prohibition. It's not one of the 39 categories. As long as you don't seal it, sealing it is mamachic, sealing it would be prohibited. So the minimum amount that's necessary. Yeah. Whereas Rabbi Yezi says, if you're already doing it, finish the job. Do, do, do it properly. Even though, even Rabbi, even Rabbi Yehuda agrees that it's better to seal it. There will be a small loss by not sealing it. A little air will get in. You know, the bottles have to be tight. If the bottles are not tight, the wine will spoil. But that spoilage is just a little, minimum. For a little spoilage, we don't allow him to do all that work in Cholomite. Do the minimum, there shouldn't be a big loss. And the rest he can do after you. Know, a little small loss. Nishkefeld. Rabbi Yezid says, no, once you give him permission, do it right. Do it 100%. Okay, that's the mission. We need this Mishnah. We need the first Mishnah. We had the same argument early, earlier about the olives. If he only told us about the olive oil, we would argue, but he come Rabbi Yezid. Only in that case, Rabbi Yezid says he's allowed to do the work in the regular way. Because with oil, the potential for loss is great. Much greater than wine. Because oil is much more valuable than wine. Costs more than wine. But wine, the loy nafish it's not as valuable. Especially the Malaga wine of the kettle. He agrees with Rabbi That's forbidden. Just put a cover, you don't have to seal it. If the mission would only let me know and the argument about the case of the grapes and the wine, but he come at Only in this case, Rabbi Huda is not worried and he says, you don't just put the cover on and, and don't seal it. Oil, which is such a significant loss involved. Rabbi Huda agrees with Rabbi Huda. In this case, he even allowed to seal it. I need the argument in both cases. Who is the one who taught that there must be an irregularity when performing work in Chalamoyed to save something that will be lost? That you have to change change it up. The like Rabbi Yaisi. Rabbi Yaisi says, do it in the regular way. Rabbi Yehuda says, change it up. Don't seal it. Just put a cover up. Rabbi Yaisi says, no, do everything regularly. The law follows Rabbi Yaisi. Once you're allowed to do it, you can do it in the regular way. The professional way, in the regular way, you don't have to change it. They ask, are you allowed to seal a barrel of beer in Cholomite? We discussed oil, we discussed wine. What about beer? Amalu. Sinai, Sinai. Rabbi Yisrael was referred to Sinai because he, he knew the whole entire Torah. Sinai said that Allah is like Rabbi Yisrael. In other words, you don't have to change it. You're allowed to seal the barrel and any barrel, not only wine, not only oil, even beer, and you're allowed to seal it, and it's no problem. No, he didn't accept it. He said it regarding to, to wine. Beer? Who cares about beer? What's the great loss of beer? 
Heineken for that you have to you have to work in Chalamoyed. Like the Chamre time in my what's the reason of wine you're allowed to mission the Nafish because it's a loss. A loss is great. Chicken Amis the beer is also a loss. If the barrel's not sealed. I'm Abaya said, My mother mother told me. His mother died in his birth. That's why Abaya was a was a was a Yasin. He was an orphan. But he called his mother, the nursemaid who raised him. So he said, My mother told me, mother told me, Barshit Better a six barrel of beer and sealed. From an eight barrel and unsealed. It's more valuable. It's worth more. So you see the loss? It's 25% loss. The value goes down even more, more than 25% if it's not sealed. So it's also a loss. So therefore, for the same reason, Rabbi Yaisi would say you're allowed to seal it. Not a problem. It's just had more valuable. Amr Abcham Abaguri 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 The law of Chalamar, like the laws of Kusim with regard to Halachar. Meaning... The Kutim were those who converted insincerely. Because they, they Sancherev brought them to Israel and then the lions attacked them from the Book of Kings and they converted, they were forced to convert to Judaism and they were afraid. But they still continued to worship their, their pagan idols. And they, they did not accept the authority of the rabbis. Whatever commandments they accepted upon themselves, they were very meticulous. More so than even, even regular Jews. But those they didn't observe, they couldn't be trusted. So the Gemara says, that just because they're observant in one mitzvah, you can't say they're also going to be observant about another mitzvah. Whatever you see that they're careful of, then they establish, okay, they're careful. But the mitzvah that they, they weren't careful of, they weren't careful. So what is he saying? So what's he saying? So Gemara says, well, what exactly are you stating? What are you telling us? That the laws of Chalamoyed are like the laws of Kusim. Regarding the deciding Allah. Well, what do you mean? I'm going to have the Neil. Bractin on Merav. Neil said, I'm going to say, Shein HaKudis. That the laws of Chalamoyed are like a barren woman. You cannot learn one from the other. You can't say that just like the rabbi shown leniency in one form of work in Chalamai, it's also all the laws. Just like a kutim, just because they're careful about one mitzvah, you can't assume they're also careful about another mitzvah. Whatever they're careful or careful, one has nothing to do with the other. Whatever they adopted and they took upon themselves, they're very stringent, and the other's not. Same thing, each case is different. You can't say, well, the rabbis are lenient, that means in general we're lenient about everything. No, each case is completely isolated. Just like a woman who's barren doesn't give any offspring. You can't learn one law from another. Giving one law doesn't give birth to another law. Like, for example, you can't say that since I'm allowed to water a field, an irrigated field needs to be irrigated, I'm allowed to water. So maybe even, even a water, a water, a field, a rain field, also I'm allowed to. It's no big deal. No, you can't learn one from the other. No yeah, there's no cloud because here it's a great loss. Here it's not such a great loss because anyway it has enough rain. 
you just you just uh, avoiding uh, uh, a loss of potential uh, profit. That's not the same as a loss. So you can't learn one from the other. You're allowed to seal. You're allowed to coat the inside of a jug with pitch on chalamoid. You're not allowed to coat the inside of a barrel with pitch on chalamoid. You, you may learn one from the other. You, you coated it so the liquid shouldn't ooze out. So you can't learn one from the other. This yes and this not. The exact opposite. You can coat a barrel but not a coat of drug. What's the reason? What's the reasoning of the argument? He's worried about preventing loss on chalamoid. So therefore you're allowed to coat the larger, only the larger barrels. Because you have the exertion and then you have the loss. Rabdimi says, well, we have to look at on the loss. So even though the exertion in a large barrel is a lot, it's a big exertion, it's greater than a small little drug. But, but the, the, the loss is much bigger. It's a big barrel. There's a lot of wine. If it's going to lose out, you're going to lose a lot of wine. So therefore, that overrides the loss, the greater loss overrides the greater exertion. And Shmuel, the exact opposite. You have to weigh the two. In a small drug, there's not a big loss. But there's not a big exertion. It's a small little drug. So that he allows. In the big barrel, there's a big loss. Truth is a big loss, but it's too big of an exertion. There is not. Two different, two different perspectives. But again, you can't learn one from the other. A person would say, nah, if you allow this, I'll allow this. No, one is not. One, you can't learn one from the other. <coughs> we have a tradition the laws of forbidden labor like the laws of forbidden labor on Shabbos we continue on side B 12B there are certain things on Shabbos which are your exam but it's forbidden certain things you're allowed to do initially so you have things that are biblically forbidden on Shabbos and chayev means you're gonna, it's punishable by, 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 by death if you do it deliberately or if you do it unintentionally, you have to bring a sin offering. You have things that are forbidden rabbinically. Osr means rabbinically you're not allowed to do it. And then you have things which are even, even rabbinically allowed to do. <coughs> so chalamoid is exactly the same. If a person does work in Chalamoid, okay, it's not biblical, there's no penalty. There's no chatas and there's no this. But you have things which are prohibited. You have things which... It's, 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 it's permitted, essentially it's permitted, but the rabbis say you're not allowed to do it. Meaning, when it says you're not allowed to coat, for example, we just learned, not allowed to coat the inside of a, of a jug or a barrel, means rabbinically you're not allowed to do it. But if you do it, there's no penalty. And there's certain, sometimes when it's, when it's permissible. According to Shmuel, a, 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 a small a jug, and according to Rabdimi, a big barrel. Why is there no penalty? According to those who hold that it's biblically prohibited to work in Chalamay, 
Why is it no penalty? Because we learn it from a positive mitzvah. It says, You have to keep the holiday seven days. So it's a positive. There's no penalty for a positive mitzvah. Now there are certain rabbinic penalties. Remember we said about if you work on, uh, if you schedule your work in Chalamayid, so the rabbis say you're not allowed to benefit from it. They build a house, you can't live in it. So there are rabbinic penalties. And the workers of Rav they reap this harvest. Without his permission. Why didn't he do it before Yamtiv? Because it wasn't ripe. Now, he couldn't have harvested after Yamtiv because it would become worthless. It was a big loss. So he, no, he gave him permission. He gave him permission. He gave them permission. His son asked him, challenged his father. Abba asked his father, We learn, you're allowed to grind grain into flour on Chalamoy for the sick if you need it for Yom After Yom you're not allowed. Something that will be lost if you leave it till after Yant, you're allowed to do it on Chalamayid. But if it's not, if you're not allowed to do it on Chalamayid. He qualifies this. When do we say this? Things that were detached from the ground. Anything that's attached to the ground, I feel it coolly over the even if it's going to lead to a total financial loss. You're not allowed to work in Chalamayid, you're not allowed to reap or harvest. Because it's too public, it's a very public thing, and people won't know. People won't know that 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 you're about to lose. So people can say, "You see, you're working on chalamayit. I'm allowed to do anything." So even though it's a huge loss, you're not allowed to do it. Oh, that's a shaila. But the brayse he doesn't have what to eat. What does he do? Then he can do everything. He can reap, he can gather, he can, he can thresh, he can winnow, he can uh, select, and he can grind, do everything. But he shouldn't do it with, with using oxen, he has to change it around. So we see that unless he had nothing to eat, you're not allowed to do the work. So how could Rav Huna allow the crop to be reaped? And he wasn't, he didn't have anything to eat. That it was so how did he allow it, even though it was a big financial loss? Amalei, Rabbi Huna told his son, Rabbi, there's prices, the opinion of individual Tanda, we don't follow, the Tanda, we don't follow his opinion. Tanda, when the Brais, the column of Shem Gamliel, to Rabbi Yesi, Shem Gamliel gave out a rule, in the name of Rabbi Yesi, anything that's disconnected from the ground, even if it's a small loss, you're allowed to do it in Chalamayid. Anything that's attached to the ground, I feel the kuli of it, even if it'll be a total loss, also you're not allowed to. That's the, so this is the opinion of Rabbi Yaisi. It's a single opinion of Rabbi Yaisi, but we don't hold like that. The Gemara asked me, Rabbi Yaisi, but if you're going to say the Tana, the first Bryson, this is the opinion of Rabbi Yaisi. So why does he say, why does he say, 
You're not allowed to thresh. Yadosh nami bepadis. If it's if it's according to Rabbi Yaisi, you should be permitted using oxen. Nothing to eat. He should be allowed. If he has something to eat, he's not allowed to even to the total load. Really, he has nothing to eat. Why does he have to change it up? He should he should do it in a regular way with oxen. Why? If you're allowed to do something, you're allowed to do it 100%. You don't have to change it, you can do it in the professional way. So if this is a single, the only opinion who holds this way is Rabbi Yaisi, why would he say that you have to change it up when he does give permission to do it in case when he doesn't have anything to eat? But answers are Malach, Hakuna will tell you, Regarding threshing, he's not saying you have to do it in an irregular way. You don't have to thresh with with the oxen. So you don't It's not a shinner. It's not a change. It's not an irregularity. So why aren't you allowed to use oxen? Because it creates a commotion. It's too public. You, you, like you're publicizing that I'm working so you want to do it as quietly as possible you have no choice, he has nothing to eat so we allow him but we're not forcing him to make a change we just, we just don't want to announce it from the rooftops first the Gimbada thought that the reason you don't do oxen is because you wanted to change it up he's saying no that's not the reason, nothing to do with that the rabbis learn you're allowed to grind grain to flour if you need it for yamtiv. If you're grinding it for after yamtiv, you're not allowed to ask it. So what if you ground for yamtiv and you had leftover? And it's a mutter. Of course it's mutter. I'm allowed to use it after yamtiv. Even though you're only allowed to grind for yamtiv, but, but I grind it for yamtiv. There happen to be leftover. That's fine. And the Ritva explains, not, in other words, you don't have to sit and measure. I'm only going to grind exactly enough that I need. You're grinding, you're grinding. It's more or less. You don't have to, you don't have to, not less, but you don't have to be exacting. You, once you're grinding, you're grinding. You're more, it's more fine. It's allowed. Not mutter, you're allowed to use it after yomtif. Mutter, that when you grind, you're allowed to grind. If you grind a little more, okay. You're allowed to cut branches from a tree and chalamoid if you need it for the yamtiv. You need the wood for the yamtiv. But to cut for half the yamtiv, not allowed. If you cut and it was left over, or I mean, he's telling you, according to Ritva, you don't have to sit and measure exactly. You're cutting, you're cutting. Once you're already cutting, cut, and if there's more, there's more than you need, that's fine. You're allowed. You're allowed to brew beer and chalamoid if you need it for yamtiv. But if half the yamtiv, not allowed. If you brewed and it was extra, then what did he allow initially? But actually, Adam, as long as you don't, there's no subterfuge. No shtick. No I'm preparing more beer than needed. And it's a pretext. I need it for yamtiv. You don't really need it for yamtiv. So for yamtiv, I'm going to prepare a whole thing. I'm really preparing for after yamtiv. But I'm like, yeah, no shtick. No subterfuge. Be straight. Or if you have enough beer, if you have old beer in stock, well, you don't need beer for yamtiv. What do you need beer? You're just using an excuse. Oh, I want, I want. Uh, it's not only for beer. Everything else that he said also. What if you do? If you do a subterfuge, what's the halacha? 
Then you're not allowed to drink the leftover beer. Again, you played games. You played games. The rabbis are a penalty. You're not allowed to drink it even after Yom Why does he have to give us three examples? He's saying the same, same thing. I can give a thousand examples. What? what? So he's teaching, not only in the case of flour. Even flour, which is like the basics. You're not allowed to prepare a chalamoid, only if you need a fiyant. Cutting branches and brewing beer. That when you need it for yomtiv, even things that are not the basic, you're allowed to prepare it. And you don't have to be exact, you can prepare generously. Generously, generous portions. And he's teaching you in the case of branches, that even something that's attached to the ground, for the, for the need, if it's, you need it for yomtiv, you're allowed to work on chalamoid. But it says, the min, no, I'll ask you a question. We learn the Braise. Matil Mosheikhim Mail said, Hamboy, you're allowed to brew beer, Cholomite, if you need it from, from but not for after Yom Tev. Echot Sheikhot, it doesn't matter if it's a date beer or barley beer, even if one has enough old beer in stock, you're allowed to. You can say, you know, I want fresh. I want a drink, and therefore you're making beer. So you are. So it is like subterfuge. So it is allowed. Why does it say even barley? Barley beer is harder to brew than than date beer. That's also allowed. So you are allowed to subterfuge is allowed. It's actually an argument amongst Tanoim. You're not allowed to employ subterfuge. You're allowed to subterfuge. This is an argument that's quoted in Shabbos. There, the argument is if your barrel broke on Shabbos and you want to save the wine, so you're only allowed to save the wine that you need. But if you want to save as much, you invite guests, you invite other people. So even subterfuge, like guests who already ate and they don't really need it, but, but since potentially they could, so that's an argument whether they're allowed to use subterfuge or not. So that's an argument. Yimara says, Rav has the Cholodim Rav harvested his field, the Cholodim Meir Shammar Shmuel Ikbid. Shmuel was upset. Shmuel holds like Rabbi Yaitzi. We just established that it's a single opinion. The rabbis disagree <coughs> and said that um, that it's not an issue. That even if it's attached to the ground, if it's a loss, a financial loss, if you're not going to harvest it, then you're allowed. The Shmuel doesn't hold the rabbis. This was a wheat harvest. It wasn't such a big loss if we waited for the yante. There was no need to harvest in Chalamay. That's why he was upset. Barley wouldn't have any objection because barley becomes overly dry. But a wheat, it wouldn't have been ruined. My time, So what was the Rav's reason? And the Mayochel Habit, Rav didn't have what to eat. <laughs> so he was allowed to harvest it. For Shmuel, he didn't explain the situation. He, he didn't assume, he didn't assume Rav didn't have what to eat. He didn't even entertain that thought. That's why he didn't give him the benefit. The Ritva says, because if you're eating, if you're harvesting because you don't have what to eat, it has to be very exact. Rav was he harvested, it was very generous. He felt that it wasn't, there wasn't nothing to do with eating. It was much more than he needed to eat. But the Rav was because he needed to eat. And he, maybe he held, it doesn't have to be so. Once you're harvesting, you don't have to be so exact. Like we learned earlier, you don't have to, if you harvest a little more, Nishkefel.
in Amior, Adam Chashev Shiny. Shmuel felt that uh, Adam Chashev, a, a prominent person, has to go beyond the letter of the law because people won't realize that and people will learn, learn all the wrong lessons. You might have continued. We're going to see enough. We were chosen the medush. The prince went out of the courtyard, and Shabbos wearing a ring with the signet of Madish wood. The and during the week they drank water heated by a non-Jewish cook. Shamlet of Ami, but of Ami heard he was very upset. I'm going to ask my time because why was he upset? Because of the signet ring that he was wearing. Since you're not allowed to use it on Shabbos, so it's mukt rings which are just uh, like jewelry, but they are rings which are used functional to, to, to seal, which you're not allowed to do on Shabbos. Anything you're not allowed to do on Shabbos, a vessel that's, that's dedicated for something you're not allowed to do, you're not allowed to touch it. Really, you're not allowed to wear it. That's why he was upset. But uh, if that's the case, brooches, nose rings, and rings, and like all other forbidden use utensils, you're allowed to move it in the courtyard if you need the place, if you need the space. Even though you're allowed to wear it on Shabbos, we're allowed to move it to Rabbi Huda to see his ring, even though its use is forbidden, but he was allowed to move it. He needed to use the place. The ring was lying on something. He just needed the space. So he put it on to move it. So what's the problem? Because he drank water that was cooked by a non-Jew. There's no problem about going cooking. Anything you can eat raw. So water, I can drink raw. There's no problem for going cooking the water for me. Hot water. You're right, but a prominent person is different. The Braisa says that since the rabbis forbid you to wear jewelry on Shabbos, why aren't you allowed to wear jewelry on Shabbos? Because you're worried you're going to take it off, to show it off, and you're going to forget to put it back on. And therefore, the rabbis didn't differentiate, even in the courtyard. You're not allowed to wear jewelry on Shabbos. So it becomes like a keli that's forbidden. It's a keli that's dedicated. But in this case, it wasn't a regular piece of jewelry for adornment. It was actually a functional. So therefore, on, in the street, in the street, you couldn't wear it. In the public, you could wear it. In the, in the public, you couldn't wear it. Jewelry, I could wear in public. I'm, I'm allowed to go out with my clothes. It's called a galvush, a garment. But to wear a ring that's functional, and that's carrying. But in the chatzah, I would be allowed. And there is no problem. There is no issue of carrying outside. But the problem is, it's a kelish and lachdil iser because it's used. It's used uh, to, to, for a signal to, to seal. It's real. So it's still mukta. So he says, but he had to move it about. If he had to move it about, that, then it would be allowed. Okay. Your mother says, Amar Rav Chanan, Amar Rav Chanan says the name of Rav. The kaitz is Adam Dekel B'Moy. The person is allowed to cut down a palm tree and chalam moy. Rav Yishen and Sodak. I'm not saying this even though he needs only its sawdust. Lait la baya. Abaya cursed anyone who follows this law. Excessive labor on Yantiv just to get just to get the sodas. So much effort just to get sodas. Also, the main work was with the wood. The wood is not for Yamtiv. This it's, it's the result of the sawing of the wood. And that's not allowed. He went to cut down some of the trees in Chalamay to get wood. He needed sawdust. 
Others say chafifa means to wash. The woman would soak the flax seeds in water and use it to wash their faces and legs with smooth the skin. Yeah, chafifa, yeah. And would give it a healthy glow. So you don't have to uproot the entire plant, only extract its seeds. But the rabbi says, okay, you don't have to bother extracting the seeds. Just uproot the whole thing. Okay. You need it for beer, to brew beer. Why do I need sesame? Why do I have to uproot sesame plant? The seeds can be eaten until they dry. So I don't need it. Why do I have to... Even so in other words, I can't eat it until they dry. So even if they're harvested, I can't use it. So what value does it have? So he answers, They are fit for immediate use because they are already withered seeds. There are some seeds that are already dry. So I can use it right away. I don't have to wait. Most of the sh- uh, sesame seeds I have to wait. I can't use it. But there are a few that I could, and therefore you can uproot the whole thing. Raviyane have a little paradise. Raviyane owned an orchard. The mat is even the behold the mud. It came time to pick and chalamayit katve. That it would be a big loss if he doesn't pick it. So he cut it. The next year, everyone, everyone waited, postponed the harvesting to Chalmayit. They thought it's allowed. They didn't realize that it's forbidden. They only did it because it wasn't ready before Yom It only became ready in Chalmayit. And you couldn't wait till after Yom So to do tshuva, Rabbiana abandoned his orchards to the poor. He abandoned to the poor for that year. He took no benefit of it. You know, we'll stop here at the mission. Everyone have a wonderful, wonderful day.